Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by my brother, Dagan Jossum Moriarty. Dagan, it's good to be here with you today, my friend. How are you? Haven't said that in a while. Kyle, yeah. here's to swimming with bold-legged women. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, guy's, that guy was kind of nuts. Uh, how's it going, my friend? How's life? How's everything uh, in your world? Yeah, everything's good. Everything's going pretty swimmingly this week. No complaints so far. Kyle, I got it. I'm very excited. Yeah. I got something for you. Total surprise. We didn't talk about this before oh, the show. That's interesting. Yeah. Guess what? We're bringing back, Kyle. What's We're that? going to try it. Maybe it's a one-time thing. Maybe not. What's that? We're going to do a little opening segment. Oh, interesting. You're feeling yourself back. right now. Okay, good. Okay. This is good. I think this is going to be fun. Okay. This is something I thought of over the holidays. Just kind of randomly came to me and I said, you know what? This would be nice. For knockback, I'm going to do this with Kyle when we get rolling and get in 2024. So, Kyle, this is a little game I'm calling Wanted, Dead or Alive. Very simple. All you have to do, I'm going to tell you a famous celebrity. You're going to tell me if they're still alive. Okay. Or if they have gone the way of the dodo. I'm always surprised by the by who's alive and who's dead when I look it up. <laughs> so that's interesting. Yeah. And this list, I hope will be a little ambiguous. Like I purposely chose these 15 people to be maybe a little hard to know. Maybe somebody we haven't thought about in a long time, but they're still ticking. But are they? I don't know. And we'll see how you do. Interesting. Yeah, because sometimes I'm like, oh, that guy, didn't I just see that guy in a movie recently? And then it's like he died 1999 or something. I'm like, oh my God, how did I not know that? You know? (laughs) Just Christ, it's horrible. What can I tell you about this list? Okay. By the way, Dig, I should say before you get into it, Sure. Just to remind, because we have a lot of new listeners, newer listeners, this, we used to do opening segments when, when it was an audio only podcast, when we would record right in that room. That's funny. I don't That's know if right. we ever mentioned that the room Dagan's in is the room we used to record all of the oh, yes. big audio podcasts in um, when I come visit him and then he would come visit me in Santa Monica. So th- this harkens back to those heady audio only days. I love calling old things heady. Like I don't, cause I'm not really even sure exactly what that means, like what you're trying to say, you know? But it's heady. It's nostalgic. Like you're thinking about it. That's what I think about is heady. You know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good. I like though that, you know, for posterity that this is indeed the same room. And then mm-hmm. of course the, the, we had the West coast chapter as well, but this was the East coast room where we did all that. And that was the couch I used to sit on the bang couch right there. That's it over there. <laughs> That's the one. Yeah. It's too yeah. small for me, but I lay on it every night and watch movies. All right, my friend. So, okay. I can't go in the order. I have them listed here. I got to jump around. But I want to start with this one for sure, because this is a meaningful one for me. 
Kyle, Diana Ross, is she still with us? No. Okay. All right. Okay, Kyle, Marlon Brando. Yes. Okay. I'm just going to put this here. Cross that out. Okay. Kyle, Francis Ford Coppola. Ooh. No. Okay. Wow. Yeah, you're you're in a ter- certain area here. I can see. Right. This yeah. is these these are designed to be tougher. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. We'll see if that's working for you. Yeah, I don't know. All right, Kyle. Our very own. We'll be talking about him today at some point. Roy Scheider. Is he still alive? Yes. Okay. He looked like he was seventy-five in Jaws, but he wasn't. <laughs> They didn't age well back then. <laughs> no. I don't know. It was hard drinking. The she, cigarette. I don't know. Dude, I, I see know. some things sometimes in some old pictures and stuff. Where I'm like, Whoa. actually, I was reading about Jefferson Davis, the okay. Confederate president. He married his second wife, Verena, was 18 when he married her, and she, he was 38 or something like that. And I looked at their wedding picture, and I'm like, he looks like he's fucking 80. Are you kidding? <laughs> like, I got to send you this picture. You like earnestly, I'd be like, How old do you think this guy is? And you'd be like, He's probably like 65. No, like, no, wow. he's 38. Anyway, there go ahead. was something about hitting 30 back then. It was just like a hard hit, you know, like all of a sudden you went from 29 to like 65. You have to assume, though, that these guys' faces never saw like one ounce of, you know, Luberderm <laughs> or something that would have really helped a lot. <laughs> Cocoa butter. <laughs> exactly. Like they never, never did cocoa butter touch Jefferson Davis's body. <laughs> Never. <laughs> Never that. <laughs> All right, let's see. Let me jump around here. Okay, Kyle. Stevie Nicks. She's still around. Yes, it was the other one that died, I think. Okay. Right? The other girl and the female. In the- yeah, that's um my God, why do I always forget her name? Lindsay Buckingham, Stevie Nicks. Micah. Oh, never mind. I thought you were in the next room. She oh, would know because she loves. She loves her. We we will look it up. Yeah, I'll look it up. I'm just nuts. gonna look it up. This is not the first time I've forgotten her name on the show. It is past members. Christine McVeigh or McVeigh. Yeah, McVeigh. Shout out McVeigh. Yeah, she died relatively recently. recently I think right? in the last year yeah. because I well actually I got to admit this. Like you know when I'm sorry I'm interrupting your thing, but do no, you no, know no. when? You feel I've talked about this before with latitude and longitude. It's like my favorite example. When I like went, I was dead ass, like graduated with an American history degree from a tier one university where we were studying maps and like troop movements or whatever and graduated thinking longitude and latitude were the other things like the other way around. I don't know how that happened because I was like, oh, yeah, longitude, like long around like this. And they're like, no, right. no, that's the opposite. Yeah, it's this way. And I'm like, what? I think I, I was like 32 years old when I discovered this or whatever. <laughs> So anyway, I bring that up because in Fleetwood Mac, I was like, they had a second female singer. Oh, my God. I had no idea that that she was there was like another. I just didn't know that. And I don't know how the fuck I didn't know that. But I didn't I didn't know that. And I think it might have been obscured by being like, oh, yeah, you think there might be a second woman in the because Lindsay Buckingham, who's kicked out of Fleetwood Mac as far as I know. But that's a man. Yes. Um, So I don't know if that's where it got mixed up. but But when she died. I discovered and she's like, no, she sings these specific songs. I was like, I didn't know that. Not that yeah, I'm like man. a huge Fleetwood Mac person. I'm not, but 
No, anyway, I can ahead. see someone your generation. Like I was sitting there in the seventies into the early eighties with mom and dad's vinyls with the liner notes. Like, of course, I was going to know. I mm. saw everything. Mm. Had those things in my hand, you know. Yeah, but, that was what was so cool about records. You know, oh my god, was just the Such huge liners, you know, and Such some of the famous band. liners like Sgt. Pepper and everything, where they had like all these inserts and this cool shit to play with. Yeah, it was a package, mm -hmm. right? Like package. buying a special edition game. Now you buy video games and there's like nothing in them. Oh, it's so sad. Sometimes it's just a code in the case. It's like, why did you even do this? It's so sad. What? All right, go on. You kids don't even know. All right. I feel like, yeah, I feel like I'm proud of these because these are tough ones, man. Did I get I any? Even know all I, these I must have I gotten some wrong so far, right? You've gotten some wrong so far. Yeah, I would assume so. Like, I'm positive about the Diana Ross one, but I, I'm actually unsure about every other one that I've said so far. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and these were designed to be hard. I didn't even know them all when I came up with the names. And I could give you one hint. It's almost 50-50 the okay. way this shakes out. Okay. All right. Kyle, Frank Oz. He you know Jim Henson bit the dust. Oh, yeah. Name. No, that's true. You're right. That's what I'm thinking. Jim Henson. Yeah. No, Frank Oz is alive. He's alive. Okay. Yes, you saved me there. Because I was like, Yoda, that dead. Yoda and Bert. Come on, you gotta know these things. All right, Kyle. Oh, I feel like this is a I feel like this is a really hard one. And I just heard one of my favorite podcasters talking about this person recently. Carol Burnett. Oh. She's alive, I think. Very old. Okay. Comedian. Comedian. <laughs> That one hasn't that that title hasn't aged well. I tell I know it. Well, I don't mind, but I, I tell Micah she's one of only like four funny women I've ever known or encountered in my entire life. <laughs> so Carol Carol Burnett's probably another one. <laughs> think about. It. I'm not trying to be sexist, but think about it. Do you know many very funny women? Can you no, even personally think, in my yeah, life? Like, do you do you do you know someone that like? Micah legitimately is like mega funny and she's, yeah, she's really nice. the only person except maybe my friend in college, Abby, who I was like, you're funny. Like, okay, there's something about women don't in my experience, maybe it's when you're younger. They don't yeah. want to be someone actually explained this to me once. It's like they don't want to be clowned or clowning. They don't want they are like very prim and proper. It stops them from being funny. So it's like you would think there would be a bunch of Lucille Balls, like fucking crazy, funny people like that. You know, that's a great example. Or like she's. I still watch I Love Lucy and laugh to this day. I'm like, this is fucking awesome. Oh my God. She was you know. genius. But Mike is up yeah. in that and that list. She's up there with Mike Lisa. Funny. She's up there in Elite with Lisa Lampanelli, who I think is another one. I love her. She's great. Um she's great. Who who else? Uh oh in um, our life, yeah. I think of I think about this all the time. It's one of the reasons why we lament why she won't come on any of the shows. It's our sister Dana. I this our sister Dana has such a dry, sharp wit about her and she's not always in a humorous mood but she's naturally <laughs> no, she is no no but she's naturally she makes me laugh maybe more so than any other woman in my life does just because of her genuinely dana takes and i think a little bit of that long island new york attitude that we talk about a lot that just kind of plugs into comedy or laughing at things sarcasm dude but the thing about dana and ali is that i never know less so ali but like i never know it's dangerous to joke around dana because like something funny can suddenly become very serious you know like that's the thing about <laughs> i don't know really it's like, yeah like i feel like she's maybe it's just because she's, she's always she, i feel like she's always mad at me for some reason sure but it's like <laughs> we <laughs> for, like i don't know why but but 
it's like she I feel like we can't I can't get that deep with her anymore because I feel like because of the mixed company all the time, she has to aim towards the lowest common denominator. Like if something is funny, she has to act like it's not or that it's inappropriate or like, how could you possibly say that because Dash is around or something like that or oh, like her oh, oh, or whatever. It's like, sure. And I'm like, mm. you know, because like when I think about people like Uncle Mike, like relentlessly funny people. Yes. I don't know very. I don't think I know a single woman like that except for Micah, to be honest. Brandy like in my own life. But then I think about what was the chick from Strangers with Candy? Like really funny ass people like oh, that. Amy or, Sedaris. Sedaris, right. Or people that were in like ni- the 90s comedian, the females on SNL were like all sure. Molly Shannon oh and all of them were fucking awesome. Geniuses. But I don't know. It seems like it's still male dominated mostly because, and I, I this is my interpretation, it's just because I think men are more willing to put themselves out there. I think that's why Lisa Lampanelli and people like that work so well is because it's like, whoa. You know, like this is pretty sexual, pretty self-deprecating pretty whatever that's a and that's, newer thing yeah there's a new wave of the sexual female comedian yeah, so in the last 10 years maybe the last decade or whatever i think of somebody like tina fey who's naturally very yeah. funny but also super smart and when you see her whether she's performing or whether she's just on a talk show chopping it up you feel like she's so good that she knows she doesn't always have to be funny you know sometimes she's just interesting she's more like a bill hater right like yeah. somebody who's deeply comedic and very funny one of our best, but somebody who's also got an intelligence on a level that just makes them interesting. So yeah, Micah, Micah is a really good example. Micah is a very genuinely funny person with a very authentic voice. And I think that's something you can, you're just born with that. You know what I mean? Like you're just really born. It's something that can't be put on really. Well, it's always like, think about it. When you're, when you observe a relationship, like externally, like a boyfriend and girlfriend, does the does the man ever describe the woman as like, oh, why? So like, why are you with her? It's like, oh, she's 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 beautiful and she's sweet and all those things. But as ever is like, she's hysterical. But usually no, but it's like sense of humor, though, sense of I humor, would I would say. Yeah. OK, like yeah. being able to take it. But I always feel like m- women describe men as funny. <laughs> right. I think it's a good point. There's something to saying. it. It's not an inane, innate thing. In other words, like I think men and women have come out the womb with the with the potential of being equally funny, I think it's society that it's almost like the makeup mentality of like, think about that. Oh, many women put on makeup just to go out of the house. Sure. And I walk out of the house in sweatpants and shelters <laughs> and could give a fucking, I could give we a are fuck. Unsightly. It's not, but even that's fair, like a mentality. Like-, like that's like a comfort that I think taps, then taps into the, Self, especially the self-deprecating stuff. Anyway, we're getting way off topic, but I just... Uh, no, we are. We are. But no, it's true. But you know, we're also born... Like I know for myself, Helene probably would have left me years ago. If I, I'm not I'm not that great looking. I'm not that smart. I don't have a... You know, I'm not a brain surgeon. But I can make you laugh. Mm-hmm. I have that. I need that thing. Me like, too. Guys just need that thing. Like it's a, it's a, it's another leg for us to stand on. We don't really have anything else. <laughs> I, I actually agree with you. And, that, and I feel like I'm very... I'm, blessed to have someone like Micah because I'm probably so annoying when it comes down oh, to it, you know, I'm like where worst. I just, I'm always joking about something or speaking in some other voice or like talking to the dogs or just like, I'm like never That's I'm, 10% of the time. Am I am any way serious? Right. Half the time I'm not half the time. I'm just, I'm literally speaking nonsense. And for some reason she finds it, I guess, charming but 
I love Hopefully, this conversation. We'll we don't even need to do the show yeah. today. This is so much fun. Yeah. Anyway, right, go so on. I'm looking Let's at go. your standings here, Carl. Yeah. You've got more right answers than wrong answers. Okay, so that's good. So you're on the right track. Okay, great. All right. Harvey Keitel, great actor. Yeah. Dating back to Mean Streets in the Scorsese camp. Is he still with us, Harvey Keitel? I'm going to say no, just because I don't ever hear his name anymore. Okay. All right, Carl. I wonder if you struggle with this one. Jimmy Page, one of the greatest guitarists of all time. Led Zeppelin. Hasn't he Jimmy been dead for a long time? Maybe not. Zucchini. One of them is, right? I don't know Zeppelin very well, to be honest. Dad would punch me right, right, like right in the net. Dad's really yelling at you right now. Yeah. What are you going with? Oh, I, I, I think he's dead. He's been, he's, he's, okay. I think You're he's dead. I, I, honestly, like I, I um, only listened to a little Zeppelin when I was younger through dad. And it wasn't until I went to 311 Day 2004. I'm wearing my 311 sweatshirt. Uh, 311 Day 2004, and they, they covered Dire Maker. Um, and I was like, oh, this is dope. And then I got a little bit more into their discography, but I, I would be a poser to pretend that it's, it's a very deep love. So I don't really know, to be honest. But okay, I, I feel I'm like I don't ever talking. see, I don't feel like, like Zeppelin doesn't play, right? They haven't played in many, in like Not decades. That I know of. So they would either be like a weird police-like band where they just don't like each other and they don't want to play or... Because like the money dangled in front of them. So yeah, I'm going to say he's dead. Some that's one of them has got to be dead. You know? That's that's another thing. Like some of these people just kind of opted for obscurity. They don't need the money. Mm-hmm. They did their thing. They don't have to be in the... I feel uh, that way. I mean, I feel that way about certain people, but I don't want to give anything. As away. I understand okay. the police, when they got back together, like it was several hundred million dollars. I think they were paid to do it. Like wow. the three of them, you know. Serious money. Yeah, like serious money. To draw them out. Yeah. To do it again. Right. Plus, they had famous hostilities with each other. Right, right? Yeah, they didn't like each other so at all. They yeah. had to really patch it up. All right, Kyle. Oh, this is one I, I didn't know personally before I did the put this together. Bernie Mac. Yeah, he's died. He died. Okay. Yeah. Sadly, young. Kyle. Good fella. Famous good fella. Ray Liotta. He's alive. Or did he okay. die recently? No, I think he's alive. He's alive. Okay. I feel like I'm Kyle, a, the man, yeah. Isaac Hayes. Isaac Hayes. He died. I know that because of the whole. Didn't something happen with South Park or something with him, or was it? Am I thinking of something something different? He did the voice for Chef, right? Yeah, and then there was either a falling out. No, I guess he didn't die because of that. He, there was a falling out though, or something with oh, him. Oh, I think you're right. There was some sort of famous. But that wasn't because he died. That he stopped. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to say he's Matt dead. I'm going to say he's dead. All right. Just double checking these to make sure. Okay, you got this one right, and I marked it wrong. Okay. All right, Kyle. Sidney Pollack, famous director, actor. It's the last thing I saw him in. I don't even... I, I, I can I, I, look, can I look his face up? Yeah, look him up. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, because that's kind of an obscure one. I think the last time, thing I saw him in was... Eyes okay. Uh, he looks older. I'll say dead, but I, don't, I, I wouldn't know. I don't know. Okay. Right. Okay, and we got two more. We only got two more. Okay. Kyle Clint Eastwood. He's alive. Okay. And last one. The voice of Darth Vader, James Earl Jones. I think he's alive still. I don't know if he works anymore. Okay. All right. All right. How did All I do? Was it was it decent? Let's see how you did. All right. Let's rack it up. All right. You got, you got one, 
two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine correct mm. out of 15. So nine and six. That's not, not great. Not too, not terrible. So yeah, who, not who did I get wrong? So Francis Ford Coppola, mm-hmm. you said he was dead. Mm. He's very much alive. Okay. Okay. Jimmy Page, you said he was dead. He's with us. Is did someone from Zeppelin die like early on or like not who early on? Was, but who is the drummer? Bonham? No. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Bonham is. Yeah. He was the one that died. He, he died. Passed. Right. In like the as 70s. Far as or I 80s? Know, he's dead. Robert Plant's still with us. Let's look up Bonham, though, just to make sure. Yeah, let me look here on the up and up here. John Bonham. Yeah. He died in 1980 at age 32. John Paul Jones is still alive. Robert Plant is still alive. Okay, so yeah, it was the drummer that died, but I guess it didn't. When did the, when's the last time they played? Yeah, years active, nineteen sixty eight to nineteen eighty. So it was that guy dying? I guess that did stop them from playing anymore. Can you believe? How that? did they never get? How did they never? If the three of the four of them are alive, all due respect to John Bonham, who I know is an iconic rock drummer, but sure, of course. Um, how do you? How does no one draw you out? That's so crazy. I would love to know more about that because I can't imagine That's the amazing. amount of money that they they must have turned down to not play ever again. Can you imagine? One of the most legendary rock bands of all time. But it's One like, of the most influential. Yeah, it's uh, it's so interesting, man. It's uh, I got to read more about this. Leading man, like leading man energy. Like when you have a rock god like Jimmy Page, who's not really the front man, and then you have a front man like Robert Plant. That's got to be weird. You know what I mean? It's like it has that dynamic, that very uh, almost famous dynamic where it's like, you know, you're, I'm the you're the lead, you know, you're the lead guitarist with Mystique and I'm the front man. You know right, what I right. mean? But it reminds the me the guitarist is really the superstar. Yeah, it reminds you of like it's not quite the same, but like uh, you have bands with a little more attention, like Aerosmith. Not external sure. tension, but like where it's like, who is the most famous of right. these guys? Right. Um, Mick and Keith. Right. And yeah, of course. And I would even say like to a lesser degree, like you too, with uh, Bono and Edge. Absolutely. So yep. we're really in dad's wheelhouse with all these bands right now. Really? Heavy. <laughs> <clears throat> Is he the proud or yelling at us or a combination? Yeah, I, 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 I would. I never. It's so interesting because I usually f- investigate random things like that where it's like, oh, they never played again. What? I got to look into that. I don't know shit about them, though. I really don't. Yeah, no, that's it. That's one of those bands that just opted for, you know, to kind of lay low and uh, not take the money. But I mean, you, that's another thing, too. You made so much money prior to the 80s that you don't even need to do anything anymore. That's yeah, but isn't it interesting? Like, did they like by relative terms like that's like they made millions of dollars relative sure. to the to the time they were they were. But like you would think. They're potential to make more money would have grown exponentially with how much more expensive everything got over time. I always do think about that. Like you're, de- they definitely were like set up for life. I'm not saying that. Oh, sure. But I'm just like, I think that they probably were like 1% power with their money, you know, where like where they could have been. That's so interesting. I'd like to know more about, it. I'm sure, you know, who I know knows probably a lot about this is Ramon. I should. Ramon probably knows a ton about this. And also are we forgetting about just, the continual money that was rolling in just based off of the rights of that's what they true. created. That's prior, true. Yeah. The logo, the music, 
the iconic, you know, the iconic. Yeah, the t-shirts like alone. T-shirts. Zeppelin shirts are like the most famous <laughs> rock shirts that you can buy. I mean, that's so funny. Yeah. But yeah, that's just a band. I don't know how, like, I don't, dad like introduced me, actively introduced me to a lot of bands and was like, you would like this or check this out or I'd go through a CD cabinet. And for some reason, Zeppelin was just something I never, I don't know why that never really came up for some reason. But anyway. Yeah, Zeppelin was huge with that. All right. All right, who else? Clint Eastwood, you got correct. Mm-hmm. James Earl Jones was correct. Mm-hmm. Isaac Hayes, what did you, you say? I said he, he was, died. You said he died. So you got that one correct. Got, and I got you Mark correct. Marlon Brando, what did you say about Brando? I want to say dead. Okay, Marlon Brando is dead. So you got that one correct. Or maybe I said I, something else. I don't know. I don't want to cheat. I don't know for sure. I think you did say, I, I have an X here, so I think you did say dead. I should have put a little skull and crossbones. Bernie Mac, you guessed that right. Yeah, I, I know he Mac. died. Like the Diana Ross and him, I, Diana Ross is dead, right? Like, Diana, Diana Ross is alive. Oh, I thought she- But you said she was alive. No, no, I thought I should, I think this is, you fucked this all up because I think I did said- Did I mess it up? Yeah, I think, I think you messed up your own game because I'm pretty sure I said that she- Oh my God, I hope that's the only one I messed up. All right, so you're back to nine then. God, did I butcher this whole thing? Yeah, you might have. But because I'm pretty sure like I, I was like, oh, she's definitely oh dead. God. But I don't know who I got her confused with. Maybe like a Whitney Houston or something like another. No, she's another one who just kind of she's still ticking her daughter, her daughter, who's a I don't know what she her daughter like worked, was a model, but largely worked outside of the public purview, was on NPR recently talking about Diana Ross and what a great mom she was when they were growing up and stuff. And during the interview, I was like, oh, shit, did she, is this like some kind of tribute? But she's still alive. So I, I thought you, I thought you guessed that correctly, which surprised me. Scheider, yeah. you said, was dead. Yeah. I think maybe you put an X next to her name because I was wrong. Yeah. I'm trying to think. I should have. Oh I, you tra- I have my little check. I have my little check boxes and everything. It's still messed up. It's brutal how All you right. fucked this up. Malik, you said was right. And Ray Liotta, you said was dead. Right. So I thought you got a 10 out of 15, but you got your back down to nine with the Diana Ross one. So you did good. Yeah, I mean, right. that's not bad. These were purposely uh, meant to stump you. So well, good. maybe the games won't be back. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at least keep the rubric a little cleaner next time. Jesus. <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, I'm a mess. All right. All right. Let's get into the topic at hand. I was thinking about, so you'll find this funny because I don't think I said this to you when I came up with this topic, which is Jaws, the 1975 film. I was watching football, the championship games, and I was like, oh yeah, I got to come up with a topic mm. or we got to like figure out a topic for knockback this week. And I knew I didn't want it to be a game. So I was, I was like, oh, I'll do a movie. And then I immediately looked up at the screen and there was like, I don't know what it was, a commercial or something with a hammerhead or like some sort of great huge shark on it. And I was like, oh. And I was like, that's when I texted you. I was like, let's do Jaws. That's literally when I texted you that. Um, and I'm happy that I did. I feel like I, I've i seen this movie before, but I don't remember very much of it at all. I also have never seen the subsequent ones. There's 
three more Jaws, yeah. I think. There's one, yeah, there's Jaws 2, right. Jaws 3, and then Jaws the Return or whatever they call it. And I've never seen any of those. And right. it's all wrapped up by 1987. There's also the game. Is it LJN that did the game? Yes, I think it was LJN. And I remember the our NES neighbor, game. Brian Weiss, had that game. And that's what I, how I, I was familiar with it. Because I was like, what is this random? So that was like my major familiarity with Jaws. But Jaws was a pretty common TV movie and cable TV movie, but also Definitely. network TV movie. I was reading about it, how like it first premiered on network TV in like the late seventies and stuff. So, and it's not very violent. So it's, you don't have to cut. That's actually one of the things I think that is great about the movie is it shows so little. Now I know a lot of that has to do with production issues, but um, it actually, it's so funny how serendipitous that was. Cause it makes it work. The movie, the movie is more of a thriller in some sense than a horror movie. And obviously a lot of dramatic elements, but I'm glad I picked this out. So I, I sat down, watched it all the way through with Micah and yeah, really, really liked it. Brisk two hours, fun to watch. Great characterization. I mean, I think the only thing that I would say that I think is, uh, was a little distracting was the performance of Robert Shaw's Quint only because of Charlie in always sunny in Philadelphia doing have you ever seen the episode, where, the Halloween episode, where he does the the whole speech from Jaws or whatever? Yes. And he and I I Forgot hear him doing that. that guy's voice so perfectly that it it's basically ruined that whole character because I love Always Sunny so much. You know, it's a doll's eyes and kind of dolls just, <laughs> yeah. And and Charlie's like, I seen it once in a rat instead of a, <laughs> which I think is so funny. I, I just, forgot all about that. And I, I so I always think of that stupid scene from that Halloween episode of Always Sunny, but. What do you think of Jaws? I, I wrote here in my notes that I thought it would be an interesting place to start off too. is this is the world that you were born into, really. So you're yeah. seeing it in we're seeing like a, a very contemporary movie for your infancy and t- being a toddler and stuff, which I think is kind of interesting to look at it like you were there in some sense, which is pretty neat. So anyway, take it away. Jaws. Yeah, I love going back to the mid seventies, man. That's like that's the world I was I came into. That's what it looked like, at least in New England, you know, slightly north of where I actually was. You know what's funny, man? I one of my earlier memories, it couldn't have been seventy five, because when this movie came out, I was one. I'd be two, two years old. I would turn two later in the year, later in seventy five. So I was one when this movie hit the theaters. So it couldn't have been from seventy five, but it's altogether realistic that maybe this memory's from the late 70s. But I remember very vividly being at Aunt Barbara's house on Long Island for a party. It was either one of the kids, one of our cousins' birthdays, or maybe it was a christening or a communion or something. And I remember the adults huddled around talking in hushed tones about Jaws, about this movie, about this shark, this killer shark. I remember it very vividly in my memory, like what, you know, like, oh shit, what are they talking about? And never actually saw Jaws until probably the early 90s. Never saw it in its entirety until then. And I think leading up to the hype of Jurassic Park and already being a big Steven Spielberg mark, it was like, and starting to get into films, like late in high school and between high school and early in college, like already being, I zeroed in on, I love Steven Spielberg. Right, he was probably the second director I was ever aware of as a kid after George Lucas, of course, Star Wars. But he was the the second name where I was like, I like the things this guy does. I like the things he's attached to. So I thought of ET, I thought of Raiders, right? Eventually, Temple of Doom. 
I knew he was associated with Poltergeist. I knew he was associated with Goonies. So it was like, I need to consume everything about this director because I always like what he does, you know? And I had already seen, believe it or not, probably early in the 90s, Duel, his very first made-for-TV movie, which, guys, go watch this movie. You got to watch it. It's, a, it's basically about road rage, but I won't ruin it for you, but it's a wonderful film. And just thinking like, I got to consume everything Spielberg. I'm, I'm a huge Spielberg fan. And finally seeing this movie in its entirety, it's one, of the, it's one of the great popcorn movies. And you can't give yourself a film, you know, you can't really become a film student and be a fan of film without going through this movie. It's a great thriller. It's really cool because it's a film done early in a great filmmaker's career. So you could kind of see all the hallmarks that would go on to make Spielberg famous and, and bits of genius, but it's also a little problematic, which is cool. Takes a huge page out of Alfred Hitchcock's book, which I think is really neat. And that's the other thing. It was a pop culture phenomenon, brilliantly sort of referencing something that we could all relate to and all be afraid of, you know, and just one of the great, one of the great thrillers and one of the great early stories of a filmmaker that I could think of. Like it's a great early effort and something when you watch it, you're like, wow, you know what? This could not have been done exactly like it was done without this young filmmaker's not only courage, but his ignorance because no experienced director would have ever bitten off. No, <laughs> more than they, more, you know, the, this type of movie. I, I, you know, obviously it's famous now that Spielberg, I had no idea what he's getting himself into, but that's all over this movie. And the fact that this went on to create a superstar in Spielberg, you know, this is kind of where it started with him. This is where he went on to be a household name. So one that's been on the list for a long time, happy to talk about it. And, um, you know, just, just a lot to say about this movie. Even after all these years, it's still, there's still a lot to the discussion, I think. So it'd be fun. Yeah. And reading about it, I didn't realize that it was kind of a classic Hollywood option situation where they discovered a book that was being written and got in kind of on the ground floor and acquired the rights fairly cheap to do it. And then, as as you said, I'm pretty sure the movie made half a billion dollars unadjusted, which is, I mean, like that's so much money. I they I think it I think it went over budget significantly, but still under ten million dollars, and they made that much money. I mean, it's fifty x, and I just think that that's so incredible. They were probably so thrilled, and Steve, obviously, you can see where Steven Spielberg, where his his power comes from. It comes from this movie actually. And I, I guess I didn't really know that it was only his second movie, which I, I wasn't aware of. And then they roll right into he and um, Richard Dreyfus roll right into yeah, right. close encounters. Right. Right yeah, after this. That's right. Yeah. Not too long after. And then, yeah. you know, obviously George Lucas is kind of in his camp and John Milius. I'm, I'm pretty sure is kind of bumping around at this point, which is yeah, awesome. He wrote some of this. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And I love John Milius. Red oh Dawn is our, our, just our absolute shit. You know, I just love Walter. Walter, yeah, Walter exactly, from Big Lebowski. His, I don't know if you know, I can't remember her name, but his daughter is a pretty big player in like the MAGA movement. I don't know if you know. Oh, um, I didn't know this. I can't remember her name. She worked in the White House for Trump, but it's like something Milius and she's like a... Oh, I had no like idea. A, a, an arch conservative or whatever. And he was obviously notoriously very conservative. Right. And... and says that he thinks that that affected his career a great deal or whatever. 
I also didn't know that he had a point on Star Wars. Did you know that? No. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, that apparently I was reading. I read it on Wikipedia, actually, that they uh, he Spielberg and George Lucas exchanged points with each other on Star Wars, Close Encounters and Apocalypse Now, I think. Sure. They were on the same camp. Right. And so like they each gave each other a point of each movie. Um, wow yeah. i did not know because and you know i i wonder if it, that was just like a back a backroom deal or if he script doctored on that too because he he's in a lot of things as a writer like he comes in he's either ghost writing or they yeah, he doesn't get credited for a lot of the stuff he's done no no and he probably he probably liked it that way and also if he was problematic in hollywood that he was a little anti-establishment mm. with his political views but these people all liked him you know that was a way of not only um protecting themselves but protecting him you know, which is kind of, it's kind of neat. It's kind of neat. You know, the, the, the way they did it in the old guard. Yeah. It's, he almost became like the forgotten member of that trifecta, but I wonder if they're all still cool with each other. Oh, I'm sure. Whatever. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. So, yeah. So about the book, like I didn't realize that I, I didn't realize that it was a book. I didn't know that. And usually I feel like, again, it's one of those things you think you would know. It's like, oh yeah, that's based on a book, but I had no idea Jaws was a book and the book takes place on Long Island. Yeah. So, w- How'd you feel about that? I was a little annoyed when I read that. I'm like, damn, because it's funny. I'm sure Mikey gets annoyed at my commentary as we watch movies, but there's a shot of this idyllic sand strewn village or whatever. And I'm like, that looks like Long Island. And then went and immediately looked it up. And I was was like, does this take place on Long Island? And it's like, no, it's like some fictional New England thing. But the book did. And I guess they did consider filming it on Long Island, but didn't probably would have been very prohibitively expensive. They're on Martha's Vineyard, I think. And you can, dude, it's so cool. I love, I love the Northeast beaches. I think they're just so special and so interesting that the cedar shingles and love it. Just like the unpaved roads and reminds me of Fire Island and parts of Long Island where we're from and all of that. So, but I was disappointed. That was almost, I was like, how did, cause when I, when I saw that, when I saw it, I was like, it takes place on Long Island. And I was like, how did I, usually, you know, that I'm like, how did I not know that, that Jaws took place there? That's like something you feel like you would know. And then, but it wasn't so. Why do you think they kind of shook that off and went to New England instead? I wonder what the the point of that was. Yeah, because as far as I know, Peter Benchley's novel was based on a real incident that supposedly happened off the coast of Long Island in real life where a commercial fisherman accidentally caught a nearly 5,000 pound great white shark on his line. And then he was like, oh, I'm going to write this story about this monster shark that just, you know, he's like a kaiju. He terrorizes everything off the coast of Long Island. I don't know if it was Block Island. I don't know if it was Fire Island, but it was some, maybe it was off the coast of Montauk, which they do shout out in the movie. They shout out Long Island a couple of times in this. But I I read briefly that they opted for Cape Cod slash, you know, Martha's Vineyard, the New England beaches, because even the, I guess, Hamptons of the 70s was a little too congested. Like they were just going to run into too many problems with, you know, crowds and too many people in the shot and stuff like that. And I guess Martha's Vineyard, at least back then, was a little more low key. So they just said we could get the same, like you said, the same aesthetic. We get the cedar shake houses, the same exact look, um, which is a timeless look, by the way. I mean, that's still the way these places look, whether you're talking about Martha's Vineyard or Cape Cod or Bellport or Fire Island, like they all have that timeless you know, northeast beach town look, which I love is it. so such a big part of our childhood. You know, our childhood. Yeah, so. that's what, when we when they sh- show that helicopter kind of vignette of the. I was like, that's where the rich people live on Long Island. I'm like, that's not where I'm from. 
that's like the Long Island of what was that? What was that popular Showtime show? Uh, the Affair. I think that, that I don't know. Yeah, I think it was on Showtime that that took place in Montauk. And that's like kind of a lot of the vibe of that show, too. And like, yeah, that's that's like where like the very rich people live. And they won't but have they it. And, there will shout, be, right? and Long the Island's going to be underwater in 50 years anyway. So enjoy <laughs> Long Island. Oh, I hope that's not true. <laughs> Everything's underwater now, though. Look at what happened in San Diego this week. What happened? I don't think I saw that. It got flooded out. Oh, really? Yeah, everything's yeah. all fucked up. There's no the doubt. Infrastructure, the you know, I guess they got three inches of rain in an hour or something. I don't know. San Diegans, San Diegans could text us or DM me from any accurate, but their storm infrastructure wasn't ready for it. Oh, for it like a, supposedly yeah. like a really like kind of the low lying, sort of low income area of the city, and they got buried. Sad. I don't even think I saw that. That's yeah, that is sad. yeah, yeah. I yeah, saw so something similar happen. happen in Los Angeles when like it got poured upon, and they just there's nowhere for the water to go, basically. Um, cause they're not used to it. They're not used to that to level rain. of rain. It's like, again, I'm not a, I'm not a catastrophist with that, that kind of stuff, but I don't, it's clearly changing in some way We're we, we have presumptions of knowing how everything works at the same time. It's like, don't build your fucking cities along the, the water, I guess, you know, but at the same time, there's no doubt that something's amiss out there and it sucks, but yeah. I mean, look it. what happened at mom's at the Jersey shore. That was 10 years ago, mm-hmm. right? They were not expecting that catastrophic. And that was that was post hurricane season, wasn't it? Yeah, it was late. It was late. Yeah, I remember being in the fall. Yeah. So yeah, it was uh, that was uh, or like the, was maybe bit, the late that, that late summer. Um, yeah. yeah. So the vibes cool. The I love the fashion. I love watching the people that that party scene. It, totally incidental, but in the beginning when the first woman gets killed by the shark or whatever, it's just so funny watching the people there. Some things just never change, in some sense. Beer, cigs, weed, everyone just hanging out, pairing up, someone going out into the waters, foolishly going into the water at night. Have you ever gone into the ocean at night? I don't think I've ever ever actually gone all the way in. I've walked like along it before, but I don't think I've ever gone gone in because it's fun to be on the beach in, at night but yeah going into the water is a little oh, bit it's such a, a great crazy. vibe yeah i have i definitely have i've done it in jersey i've done it in myrtle beach to definitely in south carolina emerald islands we used to go in do that do that a lot they have um i don't know if it was in myrtle beach or if it was in north carolina but they have these things down there people that listen to us from down south will know called ghost crabs and they pop up along the sand as you're walking at night and they run along with you and then duck back into the sand. It's really cool. So we would run along the beaches and get these ghost crabs to come up and run along with us and then go back down. It was so, you know what though? I'm absolutely terrified of the ocean as an, like as an adult now with a family. Something has set in with me over the last five years. Maybe I've mentioned this before on, on Knockback or Constellation, but the, the idea of this vast sort of infinitely deep body of water where anything can be under there Especially being at vantage points where you're out on the ocean and you can't see land in 360 degrees, that horrifies me now. That's why I would never go on a cruise. Like the idea of the deep and the ocean going on for miles and miles and just being this limitless thing, I never, it never scared me as a kid. But the whole idea of it now terrifies me. I don't know if I, I just thought of it too much, but even swimming on the beach, because I love the beach. My family loves the beach, spend a lot of time on the beach each year. But that's like in my head now, like it's never been. I think I mentioned it during our, when I was talking about surfing on Constellation, that I want to do surfing, but what flies in the face of that, becoming a surfer is just that 
I'm a good swimmer, but the idea of the ocean swallowing you up, I don't know. There's just something about it that's like in my head now. The ocean's just interesting in that it's just, you're nothing in it. it it's, I watched, I think I've said this to you in some context in the past uh, that I like watching once in a while. And like my random YouTube rabbit holes are, are solo sailors. Do you ever watch any of these guys? No. And they no. like, they sail like by themselves from like Europe to the United States or from like the United States to, you know, Hawaii or whatever. And That's it's, crazy. and they chronicle it and they're just totally alone and no internet. So they're just filming it. They have like, I think every ship has like certain connectivity to each other, like, but through satellite, but there's just, otherwise they're just, re, he's just reading and cooking and, and dealing with all the different things that it throws at you and the crazy weather and stuff. And it is, it is nuts. And you look around, they always do these pan shots and stuff. And it's like, you are, I mean, like you just drop right into this thing and no, and nothing would change. Hundreds of miles yeah. from the nearest land. Thousands it's very interesting. And that, that's why, that's where they say the alien fabrication plants are in this uap situation is deep in the in the water because we we um we don't see it we can't it's easy to hide things there especially like when you think about the marianas trench or something it's like eight miles deep and you but you just think about like there are there are parts of the ocean that are miles deep for hundreds of miles around you just we don't know anything about where what's going on in these places it's crazy it's very interesting it's 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 all but inaccessible so essentially what does that mean that there's like a whole nother planet on this planet Right, exactly. It's so odd. It's like um, episode one. What was what was the the plant the planet Naboo? In oh where, right, where they have like people above and people below, which is kind of interesting. Right. <laughs> boss, it's not that corny, boss Nass living under there. Maybe there's a rapture under there or something. That would be pretty cool. From uh, Bioshock. Okay, let's see. So, God, I have so many things that I that I wrote down. What do you think about the vibe mm. of? of this area. Do you feel like you you're on the beach a lot and you were saying, and I, I feel like this way about this movie is that it, it really does show how f- little things actually do change. Like people are so similar. Movies are such a cool way to remind everyone how similar people be- are, how similar the way we speak and act and, and all the rest. So what, what did you think about the beach vibe? I loved the, the mayor character with his, <laughs> with his anchor jacket. Um, and just <laughs> the anchor jacket. and just all the businessmen just being so worried about, the season and it makes sense obviously they're probably dead most of the year but it's uh, it's got such a heavy vibe in terms of it's like we really need this to happen like fuck these people like we people sharks are getting eaten like for instance there's the thing with um when brody knows that someone died then the woman comes in her like her very dramatic black dress and slaps him and and she's like you knew but there's like no consequences for that like no one seems to care, which I thought was kind of a plot hole. But anyway, you take it. How do you feel about all this? I mean, I love the atmosphere. I have to say, I've never been to Cape Cod or Martha's Vineyard. We were supposed to go. I was going to take Helene on a sort of like, Helene's always a cute, like you never organize anything. And she loves to plan trips and everything. So I took, took you know, I sort of took it into my own hands two years ago. This was going to be, yeah, this would have been almost a year and a half ago. 2022, I made plans for us to go just by ourselves, just me and Helene, to go to Cape Cod and then across to Martha's Vineyard. Never been to that area. And we famously love like all the beach spots, right? We obviously love the Jersey Shore. I love the Hamptons. We love Charleston, South Carolina, the Outer Banks. We like really like Cape Charles down there in uh, in Maryland and Virginia. So that was one spot we just knew we we would like, but we'd never been to the New England beaches before. 
So I had planned it and then somebody got COVID, gave Helene COVID, I had to cancel the whole thing. And shout out to the inn where I was staying on Cape Cod because they refunded all my money and they didn't have to refund one cent of it. So that was really cool. That was a really cool look. So when we go back, I'm going to stay at that place just to thank them again for that. But I like the familiarity. It feels very similar to where we grew up. You know, we grew up on Bellport, South Shore, middle of Long Island, west of the Hamptons, but across from Fire Island. So a very beach, beachy, beach vibey place that's very reminiscent of the North Atlantic beaches, like the New England stuff, like Cape Cod and Martha's Vineyard. So I love that familiarity and that vibe. But dude, can we get into the mayor for a second? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. This guy. Larry Vaughn is the character's name. The the actor is Murray (laughs) Hamilton. Murray Hamilton, shout out. Great character actor. I love this part. You know, I love kind of the slime ball mayor, but listen, did you really stop and think about it? The last time I watched this now, a couple of nights ago, I really thought about it. Like this mayor has got to be on the take, right? He's just the mayor. So this isn't the proprietor of the local hotels. He doesn't own a chain of restaurants as far as we know. He's not responsible for the bike rentals. Like he doesn't really, unless he's on the take, right? Who can't, why, from his perspective, who cares if people are going to be there? Wait, wait. He but, but would I, actually I, have an easier job. I totally disagree no with you. He's afraid of getting, of, of losing his electorate and not being supported politically by having bad economic situations. If he's blamed. Oh, is that what this is? That's what I thought. It's like, I, I read it as like, he doesn't want to be blamed for the bad economy that would come if we let the Coast Guard know and we reported this and all that kind of stuff. So I feel like he was protecting himself politically. He oh, might so he's he might be on the take, but that's like, to me, I'm like, that. We, I don't see any indication of that. I just see a dude, like a craven politician. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's how I, could, I read it. I could buy that 100%. That does, that, that makes more sense to me now. So it's like, okay, so he is kind of attached to it. And of course, they're relying on tourist season, like Kyle said. You know, this is their time to bring in the ducats. But let me go one, you, explain this one to me. Let's go one level further or one level deeper. He, now he's got flocks of tourists on the beach. They're spending money. They're buying their hot dogs, right? They're renting their bikes and they got their room and board. Why does he care if they're swimming or not? That's Mike, what the fuck. Mike has said the same thing. She's like, he's like, get out there and get out there and swim out there, won't you? Why do they? Is he now? The now it's clear this guy is a murderer. Right? He's got everything he wants. He's got flocks of tourists. They all came in off the ferries. They're spending money left and right. They're on the beach. You got you got your lifeguards there. The the economy's roaring in on Amity Island slash Martha's Vineyard, wherever this is supposed to be, right? Why do they need to be in the water? Yeah, it's a great point. It's a great He's point. He's only trying to murder people. Well, it is interesting that yeah, he could have had, like you said, he could have had it all in the sense that this was post capturing the first shark, right? So isn't that true, right? So the the, the teenage girl, the hippie got met, got killed. And then the set, then the little kid, the widow kid got devoured. Right. But they capture the first shark and then all of this right, happens. Tiger, so right, right, what shark. I'm saying is that like people were still willing to go, but were sufficiently cautious and so like you say he could have had it all where it's like no one would have went into the water in fact people probably would have spent more money because they would have been out and about doing things and not necessarily being in the water so he did kind of shoot himself in the foot like flew a little too close to the sun what the hell was that also i wrote this i wanted to make sure i wrote this in my notes that there is that scene with that old man on the beach around that time who has breasts i don't know if you know what i'm talking about but he has tits 
the, the, the old, guy with the hat where he says nice hat. He like he I don't know. He like it's like an old man that leans in and has breasts. I'm going to look this up and see. The, the man in Jaws. With boobs. Is it the swimmer with the swimming cap on that gets out and then talks to Roy I think Scheidemann so. Yeah, yeah. he like leans towards him. Yeah, yeah, this is yeah, it. That's him. And he says nice hat or whatever. And he yeah, walks do you remember clothes. when Harry has a? Yeah, this is. I'm glad someone else noticed this here. I'm putting it in the uh, in the chat for you. It's like, what is going on with this guy? This guy has B cup breasts. He making fun of this guy's man boobs, and he's not. He's not a big guy. He's a skinny dude, right? Yeah, he's just got. Yeah, it's the guy with the swimming cap. It's okay, very. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very strange. Swimming cap. Yeah. Very, very strange. That's a little about. weird. You're right. I wasn't. Like they couldn't find anyone else. Like everyone's filming this, and they're like, "Hey, you know, hey, Stephen, maybe we can get like another old man that doesn't have." Um, he looks like the dude. Breasts. Why can't I think of the actor's name from Star? Uh, Patrick uh, Stewart. He plays in Star Trek. Patrick Stewart. Stewart. Yeah. He looks like Patrick Stewart. Yeah, he does. Kind of look at Patrick right? Stewart. If Patrick, Patrick Stewart had boobs. Stewart look with boobs and one ear. I love. You know what? I was so distracted. You know why I didn't notice this guy's boobs? Because he's got the one ear sticking out. And his other ear is tucked in to the swimming cap. And I was pre I was preoccupied by that. But now I see the, the man does have some impressive breasts. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't want to be rude here, but are Brody and so Roy Schreider and Lorraine Gary mm. are the parents and not the grandparents of the kid. They're the parents. Yeah, they just yeah. they just look so old. Do they look that old to you? <laughs> okay, they look old enough maybe to have teenage kids, and they have little boys. Lorraine I Gary in this, she was born in thirty seven, so seventy. So she'd be in her forties, right? She'd be yeah, and so I, yeah, I don't know. I, I just I wasn't. I'm like I don't know. I don't. It's just so strange. That's the one thing that marks time and all of this different stuff i mean i'm not like you know god's gift to, to man at all but i i don't think i look that hard a hard 39 a hard 39 so i wanted i want to know what roy yeah. scheider's gotta be there's a lot there's a lot to consider here and maybe i understand why you're bringing up these points it's a little messy because he's got to be a retired cop so he's got to be old enough to be retired so let's say you retire in your 40s which is early but maybe he can now he's got little boys though He's got like a three-year-old and what's the other kid? Eight, maybe. Right. So he's got to be old enough, but he can't be. I don't know. I didn't really think of them looking too old. I thought of her, though, that it was such a relief to see something, even this early, like mid-70s. I know she, Lorraine Gary, was super studio executive Shin, uh, Sin Scheinberg's wife. But I thought she was really good in the part because she had like a she was unfamiliar, so you could buy her as a mom because you didn't you weren't thinking of her from something else, right. at least at that time. But she had this kind of a like weird Kathy Moriarty meets Carol Burnett vibe yeah. to her. Yeah. Right? That seems kind of it seemed kind of right for the part. Now that I'm thinking about their age though, and and uh, you know what the other thing is too, like Roy Scheider, he's he's got he's got charisma. So I don't know if they should have been younger or if maybe you just make them older because I don't even know if he was striking me as a retiree. You know what I mean? I'm not sure the casting was, even though I like them in the parts, I'm not sure casting 
appearance-wise was appropriate for either one of them. Yeah, I don't you know. know. I, 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 I'd like to know more. We can write a little bit more fan fiction about this. Perhaps the kids are like their children's, like their, they have a daughter who has a drug problem and she pawned her kids off on her parents and she lives somewhere out west. Yeah, maybe she had the kids young. Right. She had the kids at 17. It's a wedlock thing. She, she had a problem. Yeah, I like it. I, I, I know, you know, it just goes back to what you're saying. Do they seem more like grandparents? I think the answer is yes. What do you think about uh, Robert Shaw's performance as Quint? Talk to me about this character. Dude, he brings such a, I mean, we see him, you know, an appearance at, you know, town hall when they're having the town meeting, whatever. And he kind of puts his thing on the table and he says, this is my bounty or whatever. And then we don't see him again for a little while. When he comes back into the movie, like let's say halfway through, that's when things get kicked into high gear for me in terms of the gravity and the performances. Like he almost comes in and raises everybody's performance to the next level. I think he's super, you know, he's super good. You could tell he's got that British actor pedigree. He gives that great soliloquy. He brings like a sort of cartoonish Popeye the Sailor Man type vibe to the thing, but he's also very, he's also very believable. You know, I like that he's got this shoddy boat. You know, his gear, his clothing is all grimy and sort of tobacco stained. He seems like a legitimate, genuine old seaman, you know? And then, of course, he kind of cuts across with, uh, you know, with the Hooper character, who's also kind of cut from the same cloth like this guy of the ocean, but he's the other, he's the white collar version. And Quint is the blue collar, Mm. you know, salt the earth version of this. So I, I think I think it's I think it's sick. I think it's a cool when he comes into the movie, I think that's when it seems like a very 70s bubblegummy popcorny atmosphere for me. And then when he comes into the movie, the atmosphere of the movie changes. Then it becomes like almost watching I don't know, insert movie here like an old World War II ocean movie. You know, he brings a whole different vibe to the atmosphere like the atmosphere shifts when this guy comes into it and stays in the picture you know not just a little appearance in the beginning so i like that I, you know it's not that often you see a movie who a single character could just change the whole feel of the film and he i know it's kind of it, it you know we laugh about it now we've had it for so many decades and it's a very over-the-top performance and it's been lampooned endlessly like in always sunny but there's something about it that just hits right yeah, it's awesome. He he died not sh- you know a couple of years, few years after this, which is interesting. I didn't know. Yeah, that. he never saw the eighties, right? Yeah, which is interesting. But uh, yeah, I loved I loved the performance. It's so over the top. That scene went in the like at the town meeting where he's just like t- saying he'll do it for ten thousand dollars. I did go on on to the inflation calculator to adjust the money for modernity to give it a little bit of a feel. So after the second attack, they they raise a three thousand dollar bounty like through local businesses or like that specific rich benefactor, which would be $17,600 today. But then Quint comes in and says he'll do it for 10000 which would be $59,000. Wow. He also- Still though, he's blowing up his whole boat even before- Yeah, it, it doesn't drunk. seem like it's really worth it. <laughs> Dude, what are you doing? You're going to need a whole new boat. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> yeah, his whole death wish thing is so funny how he like kind of just, he kind of gets what he's looking for, I think, towards the end, but- Yeah, he's got that Ahab- Moby Dick sort of suicidal quest. Like that was the one that was 
you know, it was the, it, you get the feeling like he thinks, or maybe it was the same, one of the same sharks from the Indianapolis incident. Yeah. You know is I mean? there a, like, is there a theory about that? The, like, I, I, I don't know. That's, don't know. that'd be so interesting if you were like, why would that be? Like, how could that be? <laughs> he was be? the ringleader shark. Yeah. Like he was the, <laughs> so many years like, ago. When he was in the water after the, after the Indianapolis, he like had this like crazy fight with a shark and, and scared it away. And he knows he like scratched a, an X on it or something. And then he sees that that same X is on this shark in the same position as scarred over and weathered. And the shark got a taste and liked it like Captain Hook and the crocodile. Right. 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 Now the shark wants the rest. Right. And he's not, he'll, he will not stop until he gets this. (laughs) So I do. One of my favorite parts of the movie in, in this recent viewing was all the kind of crazy people that are attracted to the Island to look for the shark. And I do love how they show all that. Like these guys with like, it's just there's just a funny scene where they're all congregated and they're just throwing chum in the water and like shooting at the water and casting these nets. And it's just like such pandemonium. It's very funny. They're all wildly incapable. They have boats that are just not up to the task. Right. It's like, guys. would you I, I know money is value of money is different. So different today. And I'm not saying about real value. I'm saying about like what things cost. For instance, computers are mega cheap today, but they were really expensive in the 80s. And oh so I wonder, God. like three thousand dollars, seventeen thousand six hundred dollars today. It just doesn't seem like an appropriate draw. Like some of these guys have like a group. Of, there's like I think there's a group of like eight of them that catches the. the so it's like you're each going to get in this little dinghy, right? Like four hundred bucks <laughs> or something, three hundred fifty dollars for all of this craziness. And you're throwing. There's that one guy that throws like an explosive in the in the water and stuff like that. It's very funny. So good. But they do ultimately end up catching it. It is frustrating that they don't just cut the stomach of the shark open at that moment to see like. I'm glad that they finally do get to that after like how does why does Hooper go to their house with the wine like I don't really understand he gets was it was it to ply him to get access to the shark and it ended up working or what was that all about he just shows up it's yeah very, that was weird it's very like there and seems to be things really- missing and in, in, like scenes that are missing <laughs> Yeah, you know what? The, you, now that you mentioned that, it is weird. Like it kind of it cuts to the chase a little too fast. He he comes in, he's obviously unwelcome by the natives, right? And I think they try to kind of paint him, at least in some half-assed way, of like here's this highfalutin guy. Yeah, he's kind of he's he's an ocean dude, but he's got you know he's coming with the silver spoon. You know, this is kind of the white collar dude come to come to our small little town and. You know, he he's asked to come, though. That's the thing. Like, you know, Chief Brody asks him to come. They need a marine biologist. Right, they but they, he asked him to come to the island, expert. right? Like, but not to dinner. Right. And then he comes with the wine. Right. It's just very but weird. Again, he's dressed like, in like a suit. I don't really know what was going on in that scene. I was a little confused by that scene. He eats the dinner. Yeah, which is funny. It's very funny. And I, I know that they wanted to make it funnier. Which I think is probably this might be one of those things that they added to the scene, you know, to the I also know that they, they apparently improved a lot or at least like wrote things on the fly. Be interesting to know what, which is which I think that there's a pretty extensive laser disc documentary about. Oh, I don't know if I saw that's like that. two hours that was on like the laser disc release in the 90s. Oh, that would be pretty interesting like about how it was that. all made. Yeah, it'd be awesome. That's cool. That's really cool. But I he, mean, you know, the yeah, thing God. about him, though, Kyle, the, the Hooper character. He's interesting. I mean, I like Richard Dreyfuss as a young Richard Dreyfuss. He kind of has that sort of white collar energy to him. Like he kind of seems a little smarmy, like he's kind of acting a little better than everybody else. He's got to humble himself. 
to be there and they need an expert. But what's cool about the character is he seems to genuine not only be knowledgeable, but he does seem to genuinely care. But he's maybe it's the thing of he's ingratiating himself with this reluctant police chief who that's a, that's another fascinating dynamic. You got this police chief who's retiring from New York City where you know he was very busy, down and dirty, dealing with a lot of, you know, murderous conditions and all that kind of thing. He's coming to Martha's Vineyard slash Amity Island for this easy retirement. Nothing's happened. Nobody's been murdered here in 25 years. It's the complete opposite side of the coin from where he's coming from, right? And now not only that, he's saddled with the fact that he hates the water and he hates boats. So you got this guy trying to ingratiate himself with this reluctant police chief. But the thing is, he's kind of doing it before he even knows that kind of stuff. It's like, what is it? Yeah. Why did he pop up at the house with dinner with two bottles of wine uninvited to twist the arm of somebody that he didn't even know he needed to twist the arm of yet? Yeah. It was almost like they, they almost storyboarded that out of sequence or something. Yeah. You know, we needed a little more information first. You know, yeah, he knew what we knew. We need some there was information no first. <laughs> a little Pink Floyd, uh, nice little nice. horrible Pink Floyd like impression. It. The like it. it's funny because I did like his character. I did like that that kind of they get into it, like how he has money. You don't really they don't really get into why or how, but there is some sort of I've observed this myself. Not that I'm like an aqueous person or whatever, but we did come from Long Island and know a lot of those kinds of people and been on boats and do do did a lot of stuff on the water but it's like there is a tension between the blue collar and the white collar presence on the water and i think what's cool about this movie in some sense is that it doesn't diminish the white collar experience like he knows exactly what he's doing and he kind of forces quint to realize that you don't have to have been on you know in the u.s navy in world war ii to know how to tie these knots and to do these things and quint quickly becomes comes to trust him there's that cool scene where he asks um, the, the Brody to to chum the water, and he's like, "Why doesn't you know he do it instead?" And he's like, "Well, he drives the boat, so like he already like respects him, I guess, and understands that he knows what he's doing." It's funny when he ties that first knot; he just throws it at him, and and Quint doesn't even look at it; it just bounces <laughs> off his and like just bounces off his chest. It's such a ridiculous. Yeah, he's, act, he's got metal. He's not just yeah. a rich dude. Do you know what I mean? And he's courageous. Yeah, he's he is. got courage. Cool. He's an interesting character. Yeah, he's got like all the scars, and he's done things and. And so I think that that was kind of cool that they didn't. There's a place in time, obviously, for that, and in in, in, um, in fiction to diminish the role of the rich person who really shouldn't be there. And this this is very common in certain spheres. Like I, as I understand it, it's very common in like archaeology. It's common in F1 racing. I think it's common in just all these different things that you can buy your way into. And so he has this amazing boat with these sophisticated tools and all the rest, but doesn't end up really. You know, he he is in some way better at all of this than Quint even is. Um, and it is funny, like, yeah, Quint just is kind of on a suicide mission with, <laughs> with this, like the ship is just getting fucked and he's very calm and nonchalant, but he's seen some shit, too. So he knows that this is not the worst situation he's ever been in. Like no situation is going to be as bad as that situation was. And that's an interesting way to go through life. And so he reflects that, but him like fucking up the the radio and stuff. And you would think, where was everyone when this was all going on with the the shores in the background? Like people should be able to see this, and like there's no urgency. Like no one notices that this is all happening. It's pretty funny. But um, one thing I wanted to ask you, Dave, was about the special effects and 
the shark and the violence and, and the blood and gore. I re- what I really this was a movie. And again, I don't really remember watching it as a kid and I haven't seen it as an adult on the movie channels and stuff. But this was a movie with like a. A, a vibe about it or like parents were like, oh, you don't watch Jaws. It's very scary. It's very hard. But actually, Jaws isn't vi- really very violent at all. I mean, there's like a few scenes that are somewhat scary and somewhat violent, but I think it's very restrained, especially for the time and place in which it was made, where that could have been a very easy thing to go overboard with. And I think it actually enhances the movie. I was curious what you thought of that. Like they show so little. And I know a lot of that has to do with just issues that they wanted to show more and do more. But it works like it was again, like I said earlier, that's total serendipity to say like, oh, yeah, you, you can't make this happen anyway. So it's not going to be in here. And and uh, that's what makes it so scary is you see the shark just for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. It has an almost made for TV feel like if you cut out a few things with a clever edit, you could definitely and they did. You know, they got this on TV. I think the upsetting bit is there are a few young people slash kids that die sort of on screen slash on screen off screen. You know, there are kids dying in the movie and you do see the ocean water turning red and you see a leg a leg floating down to the, you know, to the ocean surface and all that kind of thing. But so there is some mildly upsetting stuff. But again, it's very Hitchcockian the way everything's presented. It's more tension and more just the way it played out. I'm sure that robotic shark that they had, that Bruce robotic shark that never almost never worked and that was so problematic during the film shoot. I'm sure if things went according to plan, it would have been a much different movie. But the fact that there's so much show, don't tell, there's so much tension, there's so much build, there's very little actually seeing the shark. There's a lot of buildup. There's a lot of teasing. There's a lot of foreplay. It's a very classic Hitchcockian thriller, the way it turned out. And I think if you take that and you take the acting and you take the writing and you take John Williams's music, I think it all builds up to like a really proper thriller where you're building to a payoff. And I don't think it was intended that way. I think because it was so problematic to actually shoot on the Atlantic Ocean and actually shoot with this robotic shark and to shoot with kids and to shoot on boats in you know in a tur- you know a turbulent sea and all that kind of thing i think the fact that two and two came together and fortunately made this movie but so it was fortunate for them the way it came out and i love the way it came out you know i love the kind of the slow burn and the build up but yeah i don't i don't it's funny because this was not i don't remember mom and dad ever cautioning me about this movie it was always those two movies that i say it was close encounters for some reason i don't know why that was on their radar and Flashdance, which I still have not seen. <laughs> Those are the two movies. They definitely didn't want forbidden. you to see that. Those are forbidden. Those are forbidden. And, I, you know, one of them I still haven't seen. But yeah, Jaws was not. I remember the din of like the adults talking about it, like, oh, don't let little Billy see that, you know, type of thing. Because there's that was the thing. I don't think it was even that you see surfers or a sailor or something getting murdered. You see kids dying in it. And, um, that's kind of heavy for the mid seventies, you know, movies were getting grittier in the seventies, but it was definitely a slow build to something to that degree. You know, it was like that thing where you don't kill children in a movie. You don't kill dogs, 
you know, those are the taboos. There was that scene so with now, the dog in this. There's like a black, cute black dog. And I'm like, they better not kill that fucking dog. <laughs> and they don't. They don't. They don't. They don't. Yeah, I was, I was going to get so upset. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. You can't do that to the dog. People will be very sensitive about that today, which is funny. Yeah, it's not funny how that's become even more so, or even more of a thing. I mean, I'm very, I'm very sensitive to it too. I don't want to see that shit. Like in uh, The Last of Us Part Two, you, you, this is not a spoiler. I mean, you kill dogs in the game, in the game, and it's, it's, uh, it's like you know that are like with enemies or whatever, and it's like kind of fucked up. But what is it with the, what is it with the thing with dogs though? Is that does that bother people because dogs really have no agency? It's like they're completely, there's a complete innocence, especially not only to animals, but to a dog. Mm. Is that really what that is? I think so. I think it's that like they're man's best friend and they are innocent and we find them endearing and cute and funny and we know they're kind of helpless and they don't really know, even though they're kind of in an attack mode in this specific situation in The Last of Us Part 2. It's, it's, yeah, there's something sad about it. No one wants to see that. No one wants to see a dog get hurt. It's funny because when I think about what happened with uh, Michael Vick, like 20 years ago or so and Big thing here right and he was on the falcons at the time and the, the whole thing went down with dog fighting and i must admit because i wasn't really a dog person at the time i i always i my friends had dogs growing up so i had no problem with dogs i just and you know they're cute i have really you know relationships with pet them and walk them sometimes with my friends or whatever but i didn't understand I, I understood why that's a big deal it's like that's disgusting it's a horrible thing but like it it hit me in a different way years later when i realized what I would have felt like if I had known then about dogs that what I know about them now. Yeah. So that's what was his, what was his role in the whole thing as it came out? Like as, as the whole thing played out and we got the the whole picture, what was Michael Vick's role in that? I think like he was on his property and he was, I think some of the money and like facilitation of it, but basically knew it was happening and then lied about it too. And went, I mean, it's pretty insane that he went to prison, like did multiple years in prison, came back and had a career and actually like figured like he definitely left a lot of money on the table and his, his, his reputation is permanently ruined or whatever. But he is one of those rare cases of doing something pretty heinous and then getting some of it back. You got a reprieve almost. Right. Like he, like Mike Vick was in prison. It's just kind of interesting. And I remember when he came back and then he played for the Eagles. Right. And he was on the Jets. Um. And there were a lot of Vicks jerseys in uh, Emerald Green. Believe me, you know. Yeah, so people like more. forgot about like I, but I just it's funny like that kind of missed me at a certain point where I think I would have, I would have responded to it a lot differently. I think at that as point. A, as somebody now who who loves the, yeah who really loves yeah like loves and appreciates yeah. dogs it it does hit a little bit different. No, I get that for a hundred percent. Um, wanted to call out a couple of interesting scenes that I thought. What, what do you think about the fake shark fin scene? That's like a famous scene in some way that might arguably be the most. Do you think like maybe the most famous scene from the movie actually is like the idea of someone like that's spoofed a lot. That whole idea, like even sometimes tacitly or passively where it's like the, the, the they're getting in trouble and they get they get taken out of the water or whatever. It's very cute. But I love that scene. And you, it, it for this movie does a good job of foreboding and like not following through to raise tension so that when the tension is broken, it really matters. So there's that great example of the two guys on the on the dock trying to catch the shark and getting teared in and you expect that this guy is going to get eaten but they don't no which is so interesting and that and then there's another moment like this which is this is before that happened where 
you there's like this tense moment everyone's running out and there's the shark fin and whatever and then it's just not that must have been so interesting if you didn't know that that was going to happen or didn't know because i don't remember the movie b for b but when that was all happening i'm like oh yeah this is when the fake shark fin thing comes in but if you didn't have any context for that that must have been a pretty powerful scene and i think that's a really cool memorable scene from film in my opinion you fooled a lot of people with that in the theaters in 1975 definitely for sure barry spielbergian and you know what? I, I mean that whole shark fin gag don't quote me on this but i feel like that's something that started in comic strips and cartoons like think of old warner mm. you know old fleischer cartoons or old warner brothers bugs bunnies I don't know that that gag had ever been done in live action, whether it was TV or, or film, like let's say a show like Flipper that took place in the water and was you know centered on the dolphin character. But I love having that in here because it is a misdirect for the audience. Again, very Spielbergian, definitely taking a page from Hitchcock. And that whole thing, I love the way it all plays out and culminates to the kids kind of popping up and revealing themselves to like, you know, the butts of like millions of Coast Guard guns pointing at them. You know, it's very, the way it's shot, the way, you know, that that payoff feels a lot like everything we're going to get from Spielberg. Here's my question though. Why did that shark fin need two kids? Why was that a two-man job? That's weird. Hmm. I'm not sure why they needed to have, was one kind of the navigator, like swim this way. And the other one was just... Holding on to the fin. Yeah, I don't really. Yeah, I don't know what. Fin. Yeah, that's that is a good point. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of funny. And, and It'd be Na- scary if it was one kid that almost got his head blown off. A Navy SEAL yeah. regalia. You know, <laughs> it's like Jesus. What are you guys wearing? You know, like, Christ. Yeah, I, I dig. That. I love the inhale exhale of like some moments that pay off with a death, and some moments that pay off as a complete like, oh shit, that was a close one. Yeah, it's actually that's somewhat thing. unpredictable. I mean, if you watch it, it is. In there's a rhythm. Yeah, there's a real rhythm with that. Yeah. Where you don't know, you don't know what to expect after a while. It's 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 good. It's a it's a it's a young filmmaker trying to be Hitchcock. Not quite there yet, but you could see the makings of, you know, something that'll be, you know, somebody will go on to be a genius for sure. And what about the John Williams soundtrack? Pretty, the score is pretty awesome. And pre Star Wars, John Williams still yeah. famous at this point, but not as famous as he would become. It's so interesting. You know, that's it's brilliant. Where do you come up with that stuff? So interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. I have no, you would know better than me. Yeah, musically, it's the simplicity of this one, though. You know what I mean? It's just like the sheer simplicity, how brilliant it is, and how. I mean, John Williams was pretty young. He wasn't the storied John Williams that we would know. You know, doing every scoring everything for Spielberg and Lucas you know, ad infinitum. Like he, he was still young, like to do something that simple and be confident in it and it'd be so effective. Pretty interesting. I mean, again, somebody with no musical pedigree or knowledge, but just the fact of like leaning on something so simple, that's that strong. Like when's the last time you went into the ocean without thinking of Jaws or that soundtrack? It's just become the background of our lives like it's it's ingrained you can't think of jaws without thinking of that music right it's like it's one for one yeah i'm looking at his work john williams discography first of all his first wife died the year this came out or the year before this came out which is interesting so he was writing maybe from that point of view as well holy shit where god dude he has done so many things because it's all these like concertos and stuff too it's not it's mostly like other things. It's not even a lot of 
oops, a lot of soundtracks or scores. It would have been a great one for our game. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he's alive. I know. Still going, still kicking, baby. Yeah, very interesting. Very iconic and was active beginning in the early 50s. So. His, oh, he, he was going for a while. Was he really? It says, 50, yeah, 1952 to present. He so was 20 years in. Holy shit. I don't know if I realized that. It says 54 to 73 on Wikipedia, rise to prominence. And then mm. and 74 to present, collaborations with Steven Spielberg, huge one, and then Star Wars and so on and so forth. So those are the ones that really put him on the map, but he was already around a while. Yeah, that makes sense of how he kind of ended up with Lucas, I guess. I didn't really yeah. ever make that connection. Sure. But yeah, it's interesting. His first wife, Barbara Ruick, was an actress, and she died at the age of 41 of an aneurysm. Wow. Brain aneurysm. Oof. That's young. In wow. 1974. Oh, and then he remarried oh. in 1980, and she's still alive to this day, apparently, his new wife. Okay. If you marry, like, if your wife dies, or your husband dies, and you marry again, like, what's that all about from the other perspective? Like, you kind of are inherently second fiddle, are you, Right presumably like if the person didn't die this would have never happened it's kind of a right. act of god interesting question that's a lot to deal with probably like that's a you would have to be a, spe- a special or have to be a special kind of person i think to to deal with that without any feelings I'm yeah like, not- to be on the other side of that yeah yeah definitely that's a yeah that's a tricky one that's a really tricky one probably not for everybody or probably take i don't know maybe there's a lot of conviction in it like when you meet that second one and a romance is kindled after a tragedy like that, maybe that's sign enough. Mm. You know, it's like, wow, I could see myself being with this person, even in light of everything tragic that happened. You know, oof, yeah, that's a t- that's a toughie, man. Yeah, that's a, but the fact that he's still married to the second wife mm. is uh, that's a testament to that that can work. Yeah, sure, <laughs> right. And then um, I was going to ask you about. A few other things. Uh, the first I wanted to ask you about was, uh, did you see the Sega Killer Shark machine? Oh, dude. What do you think of that? Nice early I mean, piece of Sega hardware. I'm not even sure I, I was always aware that arcade games like that, you know, outside of pinball and the early, you know, fortune telling things and everything sort of existed. Like mid 70s arcade is a blind spot for me. Those but are like me- those are mechanical thing. games still at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Like it said that Killer Shark game has some sort of internal sort of carousel mechanism that projects the shark onto the screen and then had a built-in eight-track player for the audio. I was like, wow, that is a fascinating era of arcade that, again, is a is a gap for me. But that ushered in everything, you know, the Space Invaders and the Donkey Kongs only a few years prior. But I, I love that it's Sega. I love that it's not even the Sega logo, the blue Sega logo. It's like an earlier Sega logo in red. Um, still in, J- in Japan. And I think that game came out in 72 in Japan and had just come out in North America in 75. So that was brand new in the States, that that whole game. I wonder and if there, there was, was a sponsor. Gallery I wonder games. if there was a sponsorship. And I always, when, I always think about, I overestimated when I was a kid, like how much brand inclusion is circumstantial in things. Well, mm-hmm. I guess what I'm saying is that I didn't realize when I was younger and I've, I've realized it more and more that like when you see a brand in something, it's very intentional. And even just like, oh, a computer or something like that or whatever. It's like always, there's always a reason for it. And I wonder if maybe that's an example of Sega putting a little early money into things. Cause I did notice some other, some other brands I was curious if you noticed too. Coke obviously had a huge presence in this movie 
and I noticed someone drinking Fanta at some point. There's a tab can in one of the shots, which is dope. Oh my god! So Heinz cool. is is in there. There's a scene where he's sniffing like Old Spice um, or doing something with old like Old Spice uh, with the cool. chum, and he's doing right, this right. Old Spice in the rag, right, so he could right. And then Narragansett beer, which I don't know and I've never heard of, but is real. And that's that's drank with great, <laughs> great volume in the movie. Did you notice anything interesting like that with any of this? Is that what Quentin had on the boat? Yeah, was that yeah. Narragansett beer? beer. I looked it up. Yeah. So that was real. Yeah, it's real. Wow. I didn't know about that. No, I was smitten by the arcade because there was a whole gallery of machines. We get a good look at the, you know, it, it kind of zooms on the Sega killer shark thing, which is obviously relevant to the film and then kind of pans away from that shot. Very Spielbergian. But I, I wanted to see the rest of that stuff because again, I'm not, that's a, an era where I was way too young. I mean, I was a year old to be paying attention, but I love that sort of fledgling arcade era of these mechanical games coming in before they were largely, you know, electronic the way we would know them. So that killer shark game, I, I had to research it because I was just like, wow, dude, like, there was an era of arcade. I always think from my naivete, like it went from pinball straight to arcade. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that wasn't the case. There was that brief period where these games were coming in, ushering in the arcade era with these really primitive machines. Yeah, there, it, there's a missing there's missing link machines, because when if this was made in 72 in Japan, that's like pre microprocessor, like these things really couldn't work yet the way that we understood them by the late 70s. So it's very interesting to think about that because, yeah, I, I have I don't know. I don't know much about the pinball era and I don't know. There's like a, a bunch of overlapping eras like there's like the soup people were playing. I don't know how much you know about this, like people in universities were playing like a Star Trek game on supercomputers in like the 60s. And there were like these space fighting games on like punch cards and shit that people used to play like these very bespoke, weird, inaccessible games. and then. So that has like one that layer of influence almost goes into like D&D, like this parallel course. And then this level of influence from pinball, I think, goes into the electromechanical games that then become your early like Taito, Bandai, or it would be just Namco at the time. That kind of stuff that, you know, Capcom, Sega, everyone's Nintendo. Fascinating, dude. That's fascinating. Because you know why I'm particularly smitten with it? Because it's early nerd culture and it's sort of the the forefathers of nerd culture in a lot of ways. Like I think of the earliest, when was the earliest comic book shop? Strictly comic book shop. We were born, I would, even I was born into that world where that already existed. So I don't know what the answer is, but that's the sort of the same thing. It's like the, er, the early D&D, tabletop and computer, that sort of thing with early computer games. Um, and this, the whole thing with pinball and comic books and early arcade where the these mechanical machines, it's fascinating from you know, a pop culture slash nerd culture perspective. But it's also fascinating in that those machines had to be pricey because they were they weren't one for one. They were all unique. They all had unique mechanisms. They ran a different way. They had to be very expensive to fix. They had to be very expensive to operate, right? The earliest things, like there was, there were, there were really no experts at it yet, right? That that's really fascinating. I would love to dig down. It, it's kind of honestly, until I see something like this, it's something that it's a complete blind spot. Like I didn't even know that really existed. So there was like a three or four year period where it was 
before Taito and Nintendo and everybody came over with the microprocessors. Right. Because there's there was a, this whole thing. The first video game was made on Long Island at Brookhaven National Laboratory on an oscilloscope. And the game doesn't exist anymore. I, I forget what they called it. it I, I'm getting confused because Space War, I think, was the first uh, like mega computer game which were basically just doing dice rolls. And like, I think the Star Trek game was this like computational game to keep track of like accesses in space or whatever by using the computer. It's very, oh, cool. it, yeah, it's really, uh, it's really good shit. So there were a lot of people that were thinking about this at that time. And yeah, it is interesting to think about who would be the first or amongst the first like nerd culture progenitors that were like, yeah, this is, I know this is where you buy your Superman comics and your, detective comics and whatever or was it just newsstands for many and bookstores mm-hmm. and stuff for many you know many years until yeah spinning racks at the drugstore yeah i don't know what the answer to that is that's that would be interesting yeah because i was certainly born into that world and, and you were obviously too so you were molded by it all right let's see here did you notice a lot of accidental shots in the in the movie i, I noticed things that were it seemed that that didn't weren't supposed to happen but they kept that a couple examples would be when he's going to get the paintbrush in the hardware store and he knocks the paintbrushes over that seemed to be an accident like a real accident there are a couple shots where he hits his head on a sign and that those seem to be authentic accidents too and then there are really cool shots that are actually quite impressive that are very technical like the the ferry shot where they're just on the ferry they all walk on the ferry it's all this one shot of the ferry moving and they're all talking it's good shit so it seems like a hodgepodge of of finely made and crafted scenes and then things they kind of just kept as they went what what do you think yeah man those are great call outs this is a very ambitiously shot movie you could see that it's a young filmmaker really trying to be dynamic with the camera definitely working off a storyboard where they're cutting in and cutting out and going wide and trying to shoot at dramatic angles there's a lot of that you could see a lot of like hard work blood sweat and tears you know, early filmmaker hungry, that type of thing. And it, it's, it's a lot of it's really good. And then there's like those sort of amateurish mistakes, a lot of continuity errors. You know, you got Chief Brody, he's going for his pack of cigarettes. And then in the next shot, it's a little wider, but his arms are already down. Oh, I, did, I don't even like, think I looked at any of the IMDb stuff or noticed any of that stuff. That's interesting. I should yeah, just hookups, this continuity error that are, that are jarring. It's like, wow, that, you know, something went wrong there in editing where they didn't have any coverage you know, that type of thing. And then there's a couple of really weird things. Like there's one shot where Brody is trying to reason with Quint. I think they're on the boat at that point. And he's like, why don't we call for help or something? And it basically fades over him talking and cuts to a time lapse of the next shot. I don't know if you noticed that. That's interesting. It's really sloppy. Like something that went wrong in editing that they just had to keep in because they were under the gun. I'm not sure. But there's a couple of really weird things like that where you're like, this would, can you imagine 20 years later that making it into a Spielberg cut? Like this is before Spielberg had final cut. You know what I mean? Like it's a, it's an era, like as a film fan where I'm like, and I know what he's dealing with. Like he was a young filmmaker. He bit off way more than he can chew. He was way over schedule. He was way over budget when he would leave the Northeast to go home to, you know, to LA, to Hollywood. He would go to dinner parties and they were all like counting him for dead. They were all like, you're fucking finished, you know? And then he would go back and try to work on the movie. He was, you know, and then, you know, this put, this was his claim to fame ultimately, you know, it's, it's so interesting. And this was probably the movie. I mean, 
not even Raiders, not even ET or Close Encounters, anything he would do. He, after Jaws, he was the bankable director. He was the one to go to, you know, and he was in his 20s, I think, 27 when he shot Jaws, I want to say. Dude, that's, that's intimidating that you could have that sort of, not only that kind of creativity and that courage, but that the moxie, you know what I mean? And, and also just kind of the, just a raw talent, you know? I dig how he was very committed, it seemed, to being on location. Not, not only with the beach shots and stuff, you obviously can't do like West Coast beaches and stuff and make it look real. It's not going to look real at all, but, or Southeast beaches or whatever, but just being in the ocean, on the ocean, filming underwater in the ocean and all that. Like it really could have been easier if they just did it in tanks or in lakes or something, which I know yeah, was a soundstage. Right. And I wonder I, they didn't. It's not like Titanic where they they finally had the, the tools to. You know, James Cameron had the tools to make it look really realistic on a soundstage and they spent a ton of money and fucking crazy amount of leverage or whatever. They would have never been able to do that with Jaws. So it probably would have looked really small. And that would have I think they're just little decisions like that that were very difficult, but seem to have really benefited the film and it's and it's realistic feel. So I give him a shout Can out. You I, imagine, imagine, Kyle, yeah. I mean, just. Just being a young director in your 20s, right? Hollywood's already many decades old. A lot of great directors, a lot of great film studios, a lot of movie stars, a lot of big budgets, a lot of movies about the ocean that almost none of them were actually filmed on the ocean for a reason. Now here comes this young director. He's done one made for TV movie, a couple of scripts maybe. He's like, I'm going to film this movie on the ocean. It's like what the fuck? Everybody's like, what the fuck? That's not how. That's how you do it. You know, it's it's completely you're 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 messing with, you know, something that's completely unpredictable. You know, when it comes to storms, when it comes to weather, the nature of the ocean, creatures, the fact that it's extremely dangerous. Like, and he did it. You know, he it almost killed him and everyone around him, but he did he did do it. And you know why it works, dude? It's so important especially the second half of the movie where they're out on the boat again to kind of leverage how horrific the ocean is and to see that they're isolated there's nothing around for dozens and dozens of miles and that no matter where you look in a 360 degree rotation there's no land they're out in the middle of the ocean for all intents and purposes at least the way you know the way it's filmed mm. That's got to look like that. And you feel that isolation. You feel that sense of danger. And you feel that dread of like they're out there beyond help, beyond hope. Even the radio gets smashed. It's like it's these guys against this beast, these guys against the elements. And you really feel that. You know, I don't know if it would have worked that way for the atmosphere if it was done even on the greatest soundstage. You know, there was no digital. It was all practical. This was an era where the digital thing wasn't even an option, you know, and they spent a lot of money and they, you know, to, and, and made a lot of effort that, you know, they went weeks over budget and over schedule and everything like that. But yeah, man, I think it's kind of one of a kind, especially in that era to, to do something that bold, but it works because of it. Yeah. It's one of those happy accidents. I wonder how many times it went the other direction with productions where you're, you're, your stubbornness leads to the, the complete destruction of the project because <laughs> it must be pretty difficult to go to your benefactors and be like i need several million more dollars especially in the 70s you know and sure. they just have to kind of give it to you 
I'm sure they were fucking amped up though when it came out. And they oh, just man. made so hand over fist money. I mean, that Jaws <laughs> itself probably made many people just permanently rich and that's great. It's a it's a fun it's a fun genre. What I one of the things I really liked about it too is it doesn't it's not too short and it's it's at 2 hours, it's pretty perfect. They don't seem there are there are like we said weird jumps and and leaps of logic. I I think even when they're on the water there's a scene where they seem to be dealing with something at night and then suddenly it's like in the middle of the day. It's like so it's like not morning or dawn or something. It's like this is like 3 in the afternoon. I I it, what it looks like. It's very strange the way they stitch everything together, but I think that it's it was a fun experience to 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 view it again. Dig the characters, small cast of characters so you get to kind of know everyone a little bit better. It was sad to see Quint die at the end, but I think he wanted to die at the end anyway. He had a he obviously had a crazy death wish. And that shark taking three barrels with it underwater. I can't take three barrels. Not three. <laughs> so anything left to say, Dig, about Jaws? No, I like I like what you said about Quint. I think, you know, aside from him arguing about he needed that 10 grand, I think there was a certain part after they got out there that he knew that was the end for him like it was the it was the man versus beast ahab versus moby dick you know i'm not coming back i'm smashing the radio i'm blowing out my own engine you know you have the shark ramming the boat destroying the boat but he was also subsequently you know sort of blowing up his own boat as well Mm -hmm. he knew he wasn't coming back the only the the sort of insidious part of that is he was essentially killing the other two. right exactly and they were kind of on board (laughs) for i mean they have to kind of be you know uh, lucid and and act in that moment you can't really be too hung up on the fact that you're probably going to die i guess in, in that moment or maybe you would be but yeah i thought the same thing it's like damn dude what the fuck is this all about it's so strange that you're just on the suicide mission with other people yeah but it all worked he was out. bringing them down he was bringing them down too there was no reason to think those two guys would live it was it was sad to see quint go but um the only other thing is dude that scene I still think one of the great scenes in film, that whole sequence when they're on the boat, all three dudes, they're by themselves. They have, especially Hooper and Quint have this kind of antagonistic relationship. They're both men of the sea, but they don't see eye to eye and they're challenging each other and it's adversarial. And then everything kind of culminates in the dudes drunkenly comparing scars and there's a thawing, they're becoming friendly, there's a humor, it's very jovial. And then it just very slowly leads into this compelling scene with serious gravity where it's like, well, what was that? He's like, that's a tattoo that I you know, got removed. And this whole Indianapolis story that not only is it a great sort of soliloquy by a great character actor, but it's also like this scene that explains this character's whole bent. It explains his whole worldview and his whole... His whole thing on why he's the shark hunter. It's his whole origin. I believe this was John Milius's contribution or one of them. The I film. think you're right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or at least he came in and polished it up or gave it, you know, gave it its, uh, its final version or whatever. But dude, it's so good. It's so, it's such a great scene and it's such a horrifying story that you know that it has to be somewhat biographical. Like this has to have happened to men. You know, where their boats, their battleships or their cruisers were torpedoed. They're left for dead in the middle of the ocean, especially in, in this case where it was a secret mission. 
and they were all but not even acknowledged. Like no one was supposed to know it was happening because they were delivering the atom bomb. So it's a great, it's one of the great sort of pieces of film for me, you know, and also the way it starts off with one tone and ends this whole other t- where it's like, it's upbeat and they're finally becoming pals. And then all of a sudden it ends up in this horrifying story. It's a great sort of arc emotionally. It ends kind of suddenly, I think. The whole Yeah, you're right. You know, it does. Yeah, 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 for sure. And then the whole thing of like, then it's like, whoa, is this guy like, was this one the ringleader shark from the past coming to finish the job? Wow, I didn't even think of that. I would love to think that that, that was, you know, <laughs> I would love to think that that was canon in the whole story. That would be so funny to me. What about, we didn't talk about it at all, but what did you think of the special effects, like the, the practical shark effects? They, I thought they were pretty convincing. They didn't really bother me. I mean, I know all the making of, I've seen documentaries. I know this thing never worked. Like three quarters of the time, they couldn't get this thing to do what it want, needed to do. But I think because of the practical effects and because of trying to make a fake shark look real, especially so many years ago, you know, you're talking five decades ago, that I think it paid off that you only get to see it in dribs and drabs, mm-hmm. you know, and the rest of it is seeing the fin or knowing it's down there or seeing the, you know, seeing the um, barrels in the water or seeing it drag something under or hinting that it's there with rippling water. I like that you don't see it a lot because I think they were trying to, that's where, that's where the money was being blown. They were trying to get this thing to operate, this mechanical shark underwater, and they just couldn't. So where you see it was, you know, I, th- I thought it was okay. It holds up. It holds up okay knowing it's practical effects and it's not, what do we have now? Like the Meg and all that kind of shit, <laughs> like giant kaiju shark, Jason Statham. Like, you know, it's like, this is a, this is a specific era where it was more about the tension. It was more about the buildup. It was more about not seeing it. You yeah, know what I mean? It definitely. was more about not seeing it. And that was the whole, that's that whole Hitchcockian philosophy that. You know, that, that'll never die because that's just classic filmmaking, you know. Agreed. All right, Dave, let's leave it there. That's Jaws. I rented it on uh, Amazon. You can rent it on Amazon. Mm-hmm. I think it's also available on, I want to say Apple, if you want to rent it there or something and maybe Disney or something. I don't know, something like that. But It's universal, right? I thought it would be on Peacock, but it's not. Yeah, I don't know like what all the, how all the all these older holdings before. Yeah. Like, I think a lot of the stuff that, you know, pre-merger with all these different companies, I think there's just like different rights having to do with all of them, but I'm sure they'll consolidate all of them eventually as they always do. So, Dave, let's end this episode as we always do every episode of Knockback with a dad joke. All right, my friend. I got the dad joke cards here. Got to see which ones we haven't done yet. I don't know. We've we've been using these for a while, so (laughs) that's a good one, but I don't know if we use it. I'll keep that as a backup. Let's see. Hmm. <laughs> All right, this one. I don't know. This is a long journey to get to the end of this one. We'll see if you like it. Okay. Kyle, I've been bored recently, so I decided to take up fencing. The neighbors keep demanding that I put it back. <laughs> That's a bad one. That's pretty bad, but it's good. It's also good. It's all right. Yeah, I don't it's mind okay. that one. All right, very well. All right. Well, Dig, thanks for your time today. Hope you have a good rest of your day. Appreciate you taking you the too. time to. Uh, talk about jaws with me i think we'll get back to we'll probably do one more smaller one then we'll get back to games i think after that and uh i know people enjoy let me pitch you something yeah go ahead please i meant to mention this earlier but what do do you think of this and you guys could dm me out there 
if you have thoughts slide on this in. as well. Yeah. What do you slide into the DMs, my friends? Kyle, what do you think about doing now? I know it's horrifying for both of us to think of doing even more podcasts. What do you think about this idea? Knockback after dark. Hmm. Right? What we do with knockback after dark is we cover the things that wouldn't be covered under a normal episode of knockback, like we do, like think of it like the B movie version of knockback. Like the next, as the compliment to the Jaws episode, we do a knockback after dark where we do the subsequent sequel Jaws movies that are, everybody knows aren't very good. Yeah. That's not a bad idea at all. Yeah. Right. Yeah. little knockback after dark, little B movie shitty. I know that, you know, we, we talk about red letter media a lot. Those are our big brothers and we, they do best of the worst. So think of it like a best of the worst, but here's the thing. It doesn't have to be, it could be a review show. Just like we talked about Jaws, we talked about the other three films. Or it could be just us letting the movie go, and now we riff over the movie, mm-hmm. right? Maybe we watch it once through to kind of put together some sort of loose battle plan, but then we just watch the movie and we just talk shit. Yeah, I don't mind the idea at all. We have to figure yeah. out the rights issues, and I don't That's know exactly how fair use works with, like, they obviously know how how it works. I think it's probably also different production companies, different comp, you know, different houses that own these different items. I think treat their shit a little differently too. So we would have to look into that. But I don't mind any idea to, to change things up. I have no problem with that at all. So we'll keep it in yeah, our depth. Yeah, let Dagan know all if that's right. something you're interested in. I wouldn't mind seeing the other movies just because I'm curious. I'm actually curious about about them now. Yeah, some of the actors came back, some of them didn't. Some of them are gone already. Obviously, Spielberg's not attached to any of them, as far as I know. But uh, yeah, it's interesting, right? Because we never get to talk about that kind of stuff. It's a very, some of that stuff is very direct to video. So some Mm -hmm. of it would be hard for us to get through. (laughs) Totally. Part of that's the fun too. But yeah, showing it to people I think would be important. Yeah, we'd have to figure that out there. Knockback could very easily adapt into one day into a video show that would be more like that, which would be cool. But we would need to get an editor and we need to just figure out how that would work without getting demonetized and all that and getting in trouble. Sure. Yeah, yeah. All right, my friend. Well, I appreciate you. I'll see you next time, Dave. See you all next time for more knockback. Appreciate your support over on Patreon, patreon.com slash laststandmedia, laststandmedia.store for merch. Until next time, goodbye. Knockback, a retro and nostalgia podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded from Central Virginia and the Philadelphia suburbs, USA. The show was conceived by and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Dagan Moriarty. Knockback's executive producer is Dustin Furman, and the show is edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand Media's shows, including Knockback, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer support level or higher on Patreon, and we're grateful for your kindness and generosity. William Holbert, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, SLVFMA, Daniel D'Amour, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Malachi Wall, Dave Cowell, Donald John Vader, Stephen Innerfield, Iroquois Pliskin, Logan Little George, Vincent Valenzuela, Landon Pipkin, Kyle Johnson, Daniel Beresford, Brian Williamson, Jorge Padua, Vance Cody, Rallo, Mr. Ayub, Casey Raymond, Denny Sniper Teeth, Exdian, Magic Marker 215, Ross R. Lowe, Kevin Hawley, Austin Lipka, Paul Warren, Harold Ustash, Will Williams, Nicholas Renaud, Shane Breck, Sean Llewellyn, 
Michael Mashed Potato, Sweaty Magic, Nate Izod, Harkeet Johnny, Ellis, Albion, Josh Sullinger, Jacob Donovan, Dark Archer SC, My Name is Mayo, Jason R. Zahn, Sean Hatfield, Christopher Knock, Grayson Maxwell, Cody Woodall, Sorta Serious Gaming, Mark Arnold, Whiskey Sin, Zia Parrix, Sean Miles, Relentless Rex, Alan Tiniak, Dustin Klingman, Christian R., Jad Rita, Jacob Hancock, Luke Aldersley, Dustin Graff, Zach Cohen, Peyton Stone, Fozzie Bear, Michael Buffel, Dan Root, Asak Parades, Talisman, Christopher Morgan, Randall Holsey, Dio or Die, T-Bone 007, Josh Godfrey, Kalike Zuza, Betty Ann Moriarty, Travis, Ross Chandler, H-Trons, Antonio C., Alan Einer, Jay Getter, Bjorn Campbell, Theo, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Slavinsky, Jordan Gale, Of Fortuna, John Zyle, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadet, Mr. Moth, Poot, Gavin Newland, Alex Lapierre, Carl Wallace, Saul Balcazar, Raul Melendez, Matt Flowers, Kinnams, Joseph Baker, Kendrick Caius, Jimmy Rodriguez, Rockin' Ace, Dave Alvarez, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Adam Hall, Mason Bichard, Ollie Fritz, Anthony Marola, John W. Torres, Saqib Alam, Kyle Hagel, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naaman, Toby Ryland, Stewie 108, Andy Miller, Patrick Montgomery, Richter 86, Derek Wechter, Barrett Boswell, Christopher DeVaio, Chris Morton, Joel Holcomb, Aaron Betk, Johnny Waffles, Roto 24, Jonathan Coates, Logan Logan Sharp, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Jordan Town, Brian Chand, Organic Produce, Carlos Algaret, Mike Menzel, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Joosh, Martin Beck, Gavin, Jerome Ferreira, Joey Andrzejczyk, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Jacob Bell, Dennis Usel, Lewin Ray Loper, Jonathan Cortez, John Schultz, Tom Quinn, Anton Kay, Alan Tremblay, Ryan T. Mandel, Porkin Beans, Jean-Francois Forzi, Tony Zuniga, Robbie Hensley, Shane Miller, Alex Cabrera, Corey Dustin, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kiniston, William O'Carroll, Bo, Jorge Pal, Cannonball Jones, Tomas Sablin, Phil Crone, Throw7, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Scott Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, Lockmore, Gio Corsi, Joey Gondoliger, Alex Monez, Gerald Pennington, Justin Payne, Justin Wagaman, Austin Riley, Paul Joyce, Alan Hopkins, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Shane Rayum, Don Lee, John Cordero, Ashley Carlson, Kyle Martin, Madmock Media, Bowl Burkholtz, and Jonathan Rice.